And um, again, I want to just read from Luke's gospel, chapter 2, verse number 10. And this is what it reads. It says, But the angel said to them, and obviously the angel appearing to the shepherds in the field, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. How many of you know that's personal? That's to each and every one of us. He says, uh, born to you, he is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be the sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. And I just shared with you on Sunday how that joy is different than happiness. Happiness is based basically upon happenings. And if everything is going good in our life and things are happening in the positive, then we can be happy about that. But, but the minute things begin to veer left or the minute things begin to go off course in our life and things are not always working out the way that we think they should be, kind of robs us of that happiness, right? Because there are just some things that are out of our control. There are things that we have no control over. But, but joy, happiness is emotional, but joy is spiritual. Joy is, is spiritual because it is connected to the Lord. It is connected to the good news that I just read to you, that a Savior has been born, a Savior has been given unto us. And you and I or no one else can really experience joy the way that God designed us to experience joy unless we are in relationship with Him because it is a spiritual thing and it is a, it's, a, it's a spiritual commitment that we make to the Lord. It's not some emotional feeling that's here today and gone tomorrow. It will, it will stay with us through the good times and the bad times, the strength of the Lord, and I'll talk about that in a moment. And because joy is spiritual, it is supernatural. What does that mean? It simply means there are some things, some, some things that you just cannot explain, right? It's hard to explain why I still have joy when I'm going through all of these trials and all of these tests, but yet I still have joy. And the reason that I have that joy is because it is a supernatural thing. It comes from God, our Father. And then I talked about how that joy is a choice. You and I can wake up every day of our life and make a decision, no matter what comes our way, that we choose joy. And I noticed that some of you have, have gathered and some of you have been making those comments and those hashtags that I choose joy. And some of you have shared some stories of really some, some experiences that you're going through right now, some tests, some trials, and, and, and some separation that you're experiencing this Christmas season. But yet you're saying, I choose joy. It really is a choice. Paul encourages us, the Bible encourages us to rejoice. Paul said again, I say rejoice. And as I said Sunday, I can't control what's going on out here. I can't control all of those things around me, but I can control what's going on in here, right? I can control what's going on in my life, and I simply choose joy. The fourth thing that I want to talk to you about is joy is our strength. Joy is our strength. Now, I'm going to tell you a little story here, and you're going to think, what in the world does this have to do with Christmas? All right, so it's, I'm just going to let, that, let you know right now, you're going to be thinking, I came to a Christmas Eve service, and uh, pastor's talking about gates and walls, okay? 
Hang with me for about seven minutes, in between seven and ten minutes, and then we're going to make us, we're going to get back on course, not that we're getting off course, but it's going to make sense here in about a few minutes, okay? There's a story in the Bible, it's found in the book of Nehemiah, and Nehemiah was the main architect that God used in the rebuilding of Jerusalem after Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, and the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem. There was a 70 year period in which God's people were not in God's city. And so uh, Nehemiah inquires of some men that came to visit him. And he asked about the city of Jerusalem. He asked about how Jerusalem was doing, the, not only the, the spiritual state, but the physical state of Jerusalem. And this is what they said to him. They said, the walls are still uh, tore down. The gates have been destroyed. And no one has taken the initiative to repair them. Now, that may not mean anything to any of us in this room tonight, unless you have a neighbor with a broken down fence, and now you're thinking, I wish they were here to hear this message about the importance of repairing a fence. But in this case, the importance of rebuilding the city and repairing the walls. Because in biblical times, what it meant was that when the rest of the world looked at Jerusalem and they looked at God's people and they saw the walls that were broken down, they saw the gates that were destroyed, it would cause them to draw a negative conclusion about God. In other words, if, if this is how God protects his people, if this is the state of God's people, if this is how their God has made provision for them, then we don't want anything to do with their God. So in other words, because uh, Israel had not repaired the walls and rebuilt the gates, it really was a disgrace to the reputation of God. It was like, well, we don't wanna serve this God if this is how he leaves his people, if this is, if this is the life that they live. And so, God begins to speak to, Jer or to Nehemiah, and he puts it upon Nehemiah's heart to go back and to rebuild the wall. And the first thing that Nehemiah does is he goes back and he casts vision. And after he casts vision, he said, we can rebuild the city. We can rebuild the walls. And he unites the people. And this is the, the, the miraculous or the miracle that took place. They rebuilt the walls of that city, rebuilt the gates of that city in 52 days, in spite of opposition, in spite of resistance, in spite of intimidation, they rebuilt the walls, they put the gates back in its place, and they restored the reputation of the God in whom they served. So in honor of this accomplishment, Nehemiah once again gathers all the people to celebrate this miracle. And this is where we pick up the story. It's found in chapter eight. And this is what it says. Nehemiah eight and one says this. And all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses which the Lord commanded for Israel. So in other words, it's their Bible at this time. Uh, basically, it's the first five books of our Bible. 
right? And so they bring, the, they bring out the law, and Ezra begins to read the law to the people. Verse number three. Now I want you to catch this. He read it out loud from daybreak until noon. I want to just stop here because I've been accused of being a long-winded preacher. But I've never preached for six hours. So we're talking from six in the morning until 12 in the afternoon. Now, in those days, what would happen is the people would stand and the priest would sit and he would read. So the role would be reversed. So you would have been standing for six hours. Now, from this point on, I, want, I don't want to hear anyone ever say, he's long-winded. Because we will find the six-hour sermon if we have to. Right? And so he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men and women and others who could understand. And all the people listened tentatively to the book of the law. Verse 8. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving meaning so that the people understood what was being read. So not only did he read the law to them, then he would stop and he would break down. This is what this means. He would explain what God was, uh, was uh, saying to the people. And so they took time to get an understanding of the word of God. Verse number nine. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra the priest of the teacher of the law and the Levites were who were instructing the people and they said to them all this day is holy to the Lord your God do not mourn or weep do not mourn or weep for all the people have been weeping as they listened to the words of the law I want you to think about this for a minute there have been several generations that have passed since the last time they heard the Word of God. Since the last time the Word of God was read and applied to their lives. And so God's Word was being read and explained to them to really a new generation. And God is explaining and the priest is explaining the Word and the law to them. And so for the first time, and many of their lives of this generation, they begin to understand a couple of things. They, they begin to understand what God wants for them, what God has for them, and how God wants them to live as his people. And so as they begin to understand what God expects from them and how God wants to bless them and how they should live and what they've been missing, remorse begins to set in. And sorrow fills their hearts. And so they start to weep and they start to cry and they start to feel guilty and they start to feel condemnation. And this is where Nehemiah and the leaders step in. I know it makes no sense right now about Christmas, but trust me, it's coming. This is where Nehemiah, Ezra, and the leaders step in. And Nehemiah stops them and he tells them, this is not supposed to be your response to the reading of the Word of God. This is not how you're supposed to respond to, to the news that you're receiving today. It's not, about, it's not about feeling guilty, and it's not about condemnation, and it's not about re regret. It should be the exact opposite. 
Verse 10 says this, Nehemiah said to them, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks. It kind of sounds like the holidays. And then he says, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. In other words, make sure that in all of this celebration, that you make sure that you look towards the poor and the needy and make sure that they are taken care of. He says, this day is holy to our Lord. He says, do not grieve, but rather understand for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I'm really gonna unpack that particular verse on this Sunday coming up. But the joy of the Lord really is our strength. It's not from things, it's not from the presence that we'll receive, it's from his presence. And so what Nehemiah is reminding them, Nehemiah is reminding them and he's reminding us today. He says, when you hear about God's grace and when you hear about God's goodness and when you hear about God's mercy, when you begin to receive the truth of God's word in your life, when you see the Christmas lights, and as the whole world this evening turns their attention to a baby in a manger, here it is, don't feel guilty. Don't let sorrow, don't let sadness, don't let grief and condemnation grip your heart. But as we turn our attention to Jesus, let your heart be filled with joy because this is the greatest news that we have ever received because it is his joy. I told you I was coming. It is his joy that brings strength to us. The joy of the Lord strengthens us. So as you turn your attention tonight and then in the morning, as we celebrate our Lord's birth. Don't look back with regret. Don't look at this story with remorse. Don't look it back and say, you know, I wish I would have done this and I wish I could have done that better. No, receive God's gift, receive God's mercy, receive God's grace. Because I believe this Christmas season, God wants us to experience his joy because it is full of glory, amen? Joy unspeakable and full of glory. Listen to me. Jesus did not come to condemn the world. No, he didn't. Jesus did not come to give us a list of rules and regulations to follow. No, he didn't do that. Jesus came to this earth as a baby in a manger. But he also came to this earth to be the savior of this world. Amen. How many of you know this is good news, not condemning news? This is good news, not condemning news. And I close with this, so if I can get the praise team or who's ever joining me right now back up here. 
and we're going to get ready to receive communion in a moment. The message of Christmas is Jesus came to save us, not condemn us. Not to make us feel guilty. Not for this shame to be upon us. Listen, what you will feel at times is conviction. It's a conviction of the Holy Spirit. But conviction always turns us to Christ, not away from God. And so maybe you might be feeling a little bit of conviction this evening, but that's okay. That's a good thing. Because that conviction of the Holy Spirit is leading you and guiding you and turning you to the grace of God and the mercy of God. This is the joy that becomes our strength. I want you to stand with me, and I have one more scripture that I want to share with you. And I just, this feel like the Lord kind of dropped this in my spirit this morning. And I, would, I just want to share this scripture with you because I really feel like um, as we turn to 2020, I really feel, and I'm being a little bit prophetic here right now, so just stay with me. I really feel like that many are going to begin to experience a change in your life for the better. Isaiah 61 says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. How many of you know this is the passage of Scripture that when Jesus walked into the synagogue, He opened up and He read this passage of Scripture and He was referring and this Scripture refers to Him. And listen to what it says. He's, he's anointed me to pro proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. How many of you want 2020 to be the favor of the Lord resting upon your life? And to comfort all who mourn. To comfort all who mourn. So I said Sunday, for some of you, this is the first Christmas, or maybe it's the tenth Christmas without that loved one. And so there's there's some sorrow and there's some grief there, but but I also believe that God can fill your heart with joy too, knowing that it's just temporary that one day we're all going to be reunited with our loved ones and we'll be able to experience each other's company and presence again throughout all eternity. And then he says to provide those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. I don't know the broken pieces, the shattered pieces of your life. God says, I can, I can bring it all and put it all back together and make beauty out of those ashes of your life. And then he goes on, he says, the oil of joy instead of mourning. The oil of joy instead of mourning and the garment of praise instead of the spirit of despair or heaviness or depression. 
is what God came to give us through his son. And I just pray over you right now that this year would be a, a year where the joy of the Lord is your strength and that you're anointed with joy this year. And that whatever heaviness and whatever sorrow and grief that you've had to carry, I just pray that God now would wrap you in a garment of praise. I told you it's supernatural. I told you it's spiritual. It's not easy to explain, but it can be experienced through a relationship with him. It can be. We're going to sing this song and then we're going to receive the Lord's Supper.